Hello, Daniel. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Nice to nice to hear from you again, man. It's been a while. Yeah, definitely. Um, What's so, shaking? uh, not not a whole lot. Um, I I uh, I, I seen you've been uh, very busy and very active, um, and and playing a lot. So, um, yeah, I just had a few questions. Oh, great, man! I, I'd be happy to answer them. Yeah, I've been I've been. Uh... You know, back to doing things like the old days. It seems, <laughs> you know, some day, you know, it's a very streaky business. Some days you're up, some days you're down. You have to be prepared for both. You know, so yeah, definitely. You know, you you played at some major venues and and places around the world. Um, mm -hmm. You played with some some really uh, famous artists: Busta Rhymes, Dougie Fresh, John Fogerty. You know, um, so I kind of wanted to know, like. What was probably the most memorable, the most memorable uh, moment on stage? Um, well, the, the first two that immediately popped to mind, you know, uh, one, one, uh, one was, um, you know, uh, I had just finished um, my little run in Q South and Q South was my band here in the, in the, in the States in New York. And we were a very popular band in New York City in the 90s. And uh, immediately after uh, the band kind of, uh, you know, like in many cases, the record deal kind of fell apart and uh, everybody was kind of looking for ground to stand on. And in that interim, I did, a, um, I, I recorded a soca song, which is, uh, you know, the music of Trinidad's Carnival. I did it with a friend in Brooklyn and it was picked up by um, a famous singer down there named Marshall Montano. Oh. And uh, we recorded the songs in two separate places. Uh, he, I did my part here in the States and he did his bit down in Trinidad and I had never met him before. And uh, I went down to Trinidad and we found out that the song at the time was number one and we didn't even really realize it. And uh, one of the first, you know, uh, I met him and shook his hand and he was just about to go on stage. And at one point in uh, about, you know, 10 minutes into his show, uh, he brought me out to sing. And, you know, there was like 50,000 people in this place, Pier One. And, uh, you know, I, I, as, as successful as our band was with, in the nineties, you know, we were, we were, you know, we were from the, the, the Nirvana era, you know, we, we were used to playing places, you know, at max thousand people per, you know, uh, per show. And, uh, when I first came out on stage with him, uh, with Marshall and, uh, Trinidad at, at this particular place, Pier One, it was very overwhelming. And, uh, you know, I was surprised how easy, uh, I adapted to it, you know, and, uh, it's one of those memories I have very clearly, you know, and, and of course, you know, the, uh, the shock of the people, you know, because I think I was the first, uh, white American singer that ever had, uh, you know, a number one song going carnival down there. And, uh, I was, it was very well received and, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was, uh, frightening. I don't necessarily get stage fright. I mean, I guess it was anticipation, but the actual, uh, you know, the, the pushback from the crowd on that particular show was, was uh was overwhelming you know you almost were hit with a with a wall of uh you know um uh, of, of applause and uh excitement it was, it was uh, it's very hard to kind of um you know to name it or give it you know give it some kind of because uh, there's really nothing like it it's it's uh, it's a very unique experience that uh, very few people get to you know participate in and i felt uh you know you know uh, really lucky that that happened to me and then as i look back in uh, retrospect it uh it, it becomes even clearer, you know? Definitely. So I guess per performing with Marshall was one of the, you know, the, the first, the very first time was, uh, was pretty overwhelming. But as far as like working with, um, 
you know, you know, famous people are concerned. Uh, in a uh, few years back, we did a, um, a Jimmy. They did a Jimi Hendrix tribute show with BB King's, and uh, I was allowed asked to go sing with uh, Robbie Krieger of the Doors. And um, being like a really huge Doors fan, with the poster on my wall as a child, it was it was you know surreal to be standing there and singing and having him playing next to me. You know, after all those years of listening to the records, that was definitely um, you know the most memorable to me, you know, singing with Robbie Krieger and actually singing Dawes songs and having him play them. So it was, even though it was a Jimi Hendrix tribute show, I did the Dawes stuff with Robbie. It was pretty amazing. I also noticed um, you, you uh, performed um, at the Van Morrison tribute show in uh, at yes. Carnegie Hall. And um, I, I kind of want to know because, you know, Van Morrison, um, so just personally speaking, um, the first song that I can remember hearing as a child was Jackie right. Wilson said. Oh, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, and that's on, that's on a phenomenal album too, as well. And that was the song, that was the song that I performed at, uh, at the, at the lead up show at the wet, at, um, at the city winery, what they do before they do the, um, you know, the big shows, they do trial runs almost for the band, uh, to prepare for the, for the artists that, um, only show up at the main venue. Uh, you know, but the band that's performing on the evening has to do, um, you know, rehearsals and they, they necessarily can't get Patti Smith and Bob Dylan, you know, and these people to come to do a city winery show. So I was fortunate enough to actually be the, I guess, with you know, the stunt double for most of the song, for a lot of the songs. And uh, Jackie Wilson said was one of them. And that was great. You know. Um, just uh, adding to that, I guess, uh, you know, what what would you say was the first song that really um made like you know really brought van morrison to your like attention oh the first one of mine was definitely saint dominic's preview i had a i had a brother i i come from a very large family i'm the last of eight children and um my older brother was a huge van morrison fan and for some re you know uh for some reason that that song stuck out to me saint dominic's preview i think and i think it's on the same record as uh as uh, jackie wilson said it's a street choir album but um you know, I don't know if it was the hook, uh, uh, you know, or, or or it's just the feel. You know, I think it's and it it really left an impression on me because it's essentially acoustic soul music, and I've been chasing that sound my whole life. And uh, I have a new album coming out in um, you know in a, in a few months, and I think I tapped into that more this time than I've ever done in the past. I've always had glimpses of, you know, you know different kind of soul singing. I mean, I have a soul kind of soul singer's voice, but I never really sang kind of flat out soul music. But I think this uh, particular record I'm working on now is a, is, a, is a direct result of that exposure to Van Morrison's acoustic soul as a child, you know? Well, yeah, no, I, I, I look forward to hearing that. Um, so I, I kind of want to know, because, um, you know, your, your music has evolved for sure from Queen South to, to um, you know, the Brotherhood of the Grape and, and everything that you've been doing lately. Um, I kind of want to know how, in your words, I guess, how you would define your style of music. Well, I, I just came off of a tour in, um, in England. I was fortunate enough to uh, be the opening act and a part of a review that they did. Richard Strange was a singer um, in a band called the Doctors of Madness. They were a pre-punk band and they were very famous in England. And they hired Richard to do um, the, the Lou Reed role 
and the, and they, they they got people that played in and out of uh, you know situations or people who were associated with David Bowie, the pop, and you know the Holy Trinity they call it of uh, you know Bowie, pop, and um, and Lou. And uh, I was asked to be the opening act for the tour, and then I was also they they needed my genuine New York accent for certain things in the show, and I, I got to perform with these guys out on tour. And um, the person that put the tour together, a guy named Tom Wilcox, said so, we, we had met um, years ago um, as fans of just David Bowie. We met at a, at a show in in, uh, in the city where um, they would, uh, what's his name, uh, Tony Visconti was doing the music of David Bowie. They were they were revisiting stuff with Woody Woodman, the, the drummer from the, the Spiders from Mars. And Tom, the promoter of the, Lou Reed tour said to me, he goes, I know you're a Bowie guy. And he said, uh, I just don't see the influence in your music. And he goes, and then, you know, and I said, uh, so I said, you know, it's there, it's there. And then after I did the tour with him, he came to me and he said, he goes, now I see what it is. He goes, you, you, you don't emulate David's, you know, uh, style and music. He goes, but he goes, what you embrace is, is the idea of, you know, your voice and being able to weave in and out of genres. And I think that David Bowie definitely showed me that you can do other styles of music and still maintain your integrity and who you are as a as a musician, you know. And I, you know, one of the things about singing in Trinidad, like I didn't try to sing soca music with the uh, with like a dancehall style voice or or you know those other you know you know the things that come with the most vocalists that uh, sing in those certain genres. I always just sing the way I sing and try to adapt it to the different genres. So, I mean, David Bowie definitely, you know, showed me that, that blueprint that you can kind of just keep, keep your integrity and, and not have to stay pigeonholed in a genre, you know, so that's, right. that's what I got from, from Bowie. And, and I think my music that sums it up in a sense, because even though there's different genres, it's still, it's really still just me, you know? No, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, I, I I completely agree with you. I think um, I think we're we're experiencing that with a lot of artists right now too. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it is. It's 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 healthy. I think it's I think it's natural for an artist to evolve in any state. You know, um, I, I think for people to expect things like you know. I hate to throw out pop names like this, but um, you know, like people like Chance the Rapper or something like that. Right. I think people like you know who's very adventurous, who's extremely adventurous. I think, and uh, you know, in his music. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I mean, you can almost see the uh, direct effect of death that David Bowie had on um, somebody like a Kanye West. You know, I mean, the you know he, you know he he cited him in the past as well. You know. It's important to kind of well. Bob Dylan said it best. Bob Dylan said, "He not busy being born is busy dying," and uh, I almost feel bad in a sense. I'm, I mean, they, believe me, they, they, I'm sure they don't care with their piles of money. But when you see a band like the Rolling Stones, when they were when they when they were in their heyday, they, you know, they switched from like kind of British pop to you know to almost traditional American blues, and they they were they were wonderful. And you know, it, it must be kind of difficult at this stage in their life to just keep you know going out and doing the same thing over and over and over again. I'm, you know, I'm the money I'm sure is a great incentive, but at the same time in the back of their heads, I'm, you know, being the musicians as, as, as adventurous, as, as adventurous as they were, 
you know, it must be kind of difficult in a sense, you know, to, to oh, just keep, sure. to keep treading water. And, and I think, and I think you've seen, we've seen that with um, bands like Tool and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like, like who have really tried to escape from the definitions that the public and, and, right. and um, you know, labels have for them. Yeah, and it's very difficult because, I mean, you really don't want to truly, you don't want to alienate people who supported you and loved you in the past. Right. I mean, it's not like a spiteful thing. You don't say like, oh, I'm going to do this, forget, I don't care what anybody thinks. I mean, everybody cares what somebody thinks, right. in a sense, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but you really have to do what moves you because I think people pick up on you know, if if you just if you're going through the motions, people pick up on it in any art. You know what I mean? If an actor is just kind of you know, if they were doing their fourth role, uh, you know, or you know the the tenth year on Broadway, they, you, you you start treading water. So it's like you know, you really need these things to you know uh, rejuvenate you, and uh, you know you don't want to alienate the the fans that made you, but at the same time you have to stay true to give them something that's uh, passionate and real. You know. Cool. And um, so you performed the Moby. That's even that's even. Well, cooler. we didn't perform together. No. What what happened was is when I was in Q South, and he, 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 prior to his, he, he was a very popular DJ at the time. You know what I mean? I'm talking yeah. about the very early '90s, maybe 1991. And uh, cool. you know the the rave scene and all that kind of stuff was kind of still, you know, it, it was happening in New York for a while, but uh, I think it was becoming more more palatable to the uh, rest of the country. And he was starting to, you know. Um, you know, uh, seek things out. And uh, they had sent me, my management and his management were affiliated in some way at the point. And they'd sent me uh, a track to write to and I wrote uh, stuff to him, but I, I never knew what happened to it. That was the curious thing. You know, it just kind of right afterwards, he was signed and he put his um, his first debut album out. So, but that happens quite often. I, I mean, I, I've written and worked with people in the past where some things just, you know, they, they never get finished, you know. Currently, right yeah. now, I'm in the middle of three different projects, and uh, you know, I, I I could have three albums out this year, or it could take another two years for them to finally finish, you know. So you never you never know, you know. So when you work with other musicians and producers and things, you know, you're at their mercy. So you know, whether Moby decided he didn't want to do that or he didn't particularly care for it, but you know, I mean, a lot of times that stuff you you just do the best you can and you do what you think is is necessary, and then you kind of you have to, you know, file it away and move along, you know. So, just out of curiosity, who who else have you um, sent tracks to that that maybe you know might be sitting on a project somewhere, you know, might still have the file uh, somewhere? Oh, okay. Um, well, I I know uh, you know just recently I did stuff with the with a uh, with an artist uh, guitar player in England named Paul Cuddyford, and he's played uh, he's played with a million different as a guitar player for a million different bands that like, you know, when they're, you know, they're out on tour and he's a, you know, he's a brilliant musician in his own right. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of Caribbean tracks for sure. I did a lot of duets with different people that, you know, really never saw the light of day because they're, they're very in the moment. You know, I mean, if the, if, if the, the uh, type of rhythm that, you know, you, you, you sing to becomes kind of a bit obsolete, you know, like how hip hop changes uh, the, yeah. you know, you know, uh, let's just say that, you know, the Southern, influence on hip hop. We remember when that happened and how the, uh, you know, the, the beats change according to the dancers. So sometimes you record stuff and then it just kind of goes nowhere. I remember doing, I worked with this uh, producer named Nasty 
and uh, he, he had Shaggy on a track, and I sang. I was singing uh, on another on another version of the um, of the rhythm with Shaggy, and I don't ever remember hearing that one. <laughs> you know, I just remember I, I remember we did it, and then it never kind of saw the light of day. And I once oh, sang and um, I sang a, a soca version of um, "If I Can't Have You" from by Yvonne Elliman. That was uh, that was a song from the Saturday Night Sound Fever soundtrack. Okay. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we did the whole thing, and I, and I've never heard one version. I've never heard it, and it never came out. You know, I ne I never saw it come out. So, wow. so I, I you know. Yeah, you know, I, I wish I even had a version of it. Like, I mean, so you know, what sometimes when you're in the middle of those things and you have other things happening, something, um, you know, uh, you know, you just put it in the back of your head and you just keep moving on, you know. And like I said, yeah, you, you really always have to be anticipating the next project if you're if you're a musician that writes, you know, you have to kind of, you know, stay in the now, not 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 really worry. You, you can revisit the past and you know use it to help you, but uh, you kind of really have to always be in the minute. So, so let me ask you this: Which do you enjoy more, um, studio or live music? Well, I mean, the studio is very fulfilling in the sense that you know when you record something that you know you're gonna, you know, it's there's a there's a sense of accomplishment when you just get something recorded and you know, and then you know that you don't have to kind of keep. Like if I if I write a new a song I I'm at I sit at home and I play it over and over and over again. Once I record it, I almost kind of file it away and then I move on to the next thing. I don't have to keep playing it to keep it fresh or figure out, you know, what I want to do. So once you commit something to tape, it's very satisfying. Once you make a record, but um, there are times when you're on stage where it's you know it's like you feel like you're you know you're you're in some kind of church or something. You know, I mean it's you you, you can literally like you know. You know, you can feel your, uh, you know, your feet leave the stage when you're performing if it's right. So I mean, I mean, it's definitely a 50/50 thing for me, you know. But I mean, there there have been situations too, like live. Sometimes you play live and it's, you know, it's it's really difficult to even just get through the evening. But uh, most people think that my my strengths are my live singing. So, you know, I like to perform for people if they want to hear it, you know. So. Um... Just uh, circling back to that, um, I know that uh, every year um, you uh, perform at the Rock, Stock, and Barrels um, mm -hmm. Festival. Um, you do that with uh, uh, your cousin, Jimmy? That's right. My cousin, Jimmy, does the surf aspect of it, and um, I, I usually book the musicians and, and perform every year. We're, you know, we're on 15 years now, and, uh, you know, we, we love it, you know, and the Rockaways is such a... It's such a great spot for artists in general. You know, they have, it's a, it's a, it's literally, you know, I mean, you know how Greenwich Village was in Greenwich Village and then it kind of moved into Brooklyn a little and I feel like, I feel like it's getting pushed further and further out. And I feel like the, the heart of New York arts right now is really in the Rockaways, you know, and uh, there's, there's tons of great new bands and, you know, original thinkers and not, you know, and, and artists as well. They have the Rockaway Artist Alliance. They have the Rockaway Theater Company. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's its own little Vienna. You know? Yeah, no, definitely. You guys um, have a lot of really cool bands coming out of there. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and one of yeah. the reasons why I, why I started Rockstock in the first place was, you know, I, I, at the time when, you know, sometimes you see there are a lot of, uh, you know, the cover bands come in and, they, you know, the cover bands, people love that stuff. And you know, I have nothing against it. But uh, they, you know, 
you know, the cover bands play the bars and, you know, they make the money and, and there's all these, you know, uh, 18 year old kids in a garage somewhere. And they're like, they, you know, it's not like the old days, you know, they really don't have these like CBGBs and all these places where you could go play a Sunday matinee. So it, it was important for me because that's how I cut my teeth to have something where like a bunch of, you know, kids playing original music could get up and play their stuff, you know, and to me, that's every, it's everything, you know, you know, without the new bands I mean, music has to keep growing and, and the bands that are playing the original stuff really need to be heard, you know, and, and that, that was the most important part of that to me, you know, doing the yeah. festival in Rockaway, you know, awesome. was to give, yeah, you know, at least give a couple of new bands a chance, you know, we had some, we had some really good bands over the years. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's, it's such a great thing that you do um, to give back to, you know, not just the community, but so one of the other things that you do, obviously you do a show every year for uh, the veterans at the VFW. Yeah. And, and um, so I want to know what, what, um, what started that and, and what made you, makes you feel like, so, you know, um, well, I'll tell you what, you know, in, in the years of being down, being being a musician down here and living in South Queens, I grew up in Howard Beach and I lived in the Rockaways for a long time. Um, I noticed that this particular little area, you know, in Broad Channel, they had a, a VFW Post 260 and uh, American Legion 1404. They, they would do so much, I mean, tremendous charity work. Like if somebody was ill in the neighborhood, they would give the hall to them, you know, if they're if, uh, you know, they they needed to raise money after Sandy. They gave you know they 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 would they they asked me Walker come and play and we'll donate the money. They would just do this selfless act after selfless act. And um, I just thought it was important that if we did one you know you know a show a year to make sure that they have their bills covered and uh, you know the gas and all that kind of stuff. So we started doing the South Queens Bowl. You know we used to do it kind of under different names. You know just just for fun. But uh, it's become kind of a, a you know an entrenched thing now too as well like the Rockstock. We're hoping it can continue on and on too. This year we're doing it on January 18th and we're going to do singer-songwriters and everybody's going to you know the prerequisite is you have to have you know you have to write your original music. And but each each artist that gets up to play is going to pay homage to somebody who passed. So you're going to do three original songs and one song by somebody who's already you know passed on. And, uh, you know, and that way we get to, you know, we get to once again expose people to the original musicians and, you know, help raise money for a place that takes care of, you know, half the half of South Queens when something tragic happens. So to me, it's a no win. You know, I mean, it's a no brainer. It's a win win situation. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, Walker, I just really wanted to thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast with me and, and talking with me. Oh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. I, I said the, 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 from the first day I met you when, when we were down Rockaway, I knew you were one of the good guys and your writing is phenomenal and uh, you're respected as well. And, uh, you know, I know other, um, you know, other uh, music critics and people like that, you know, who, who, who I've turned on to your stuff and uh, they dig it as well. So I, I want to wish you continued success. Uh, oh, Hopefully we'll get to and, talk somewhere down the road, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. We definitely will stay in touch. And, um, yeah, I, I look forward to hearing that new album. Yeah, when the, the moment I get my new, the, the new music together, and uh, which is soon, I'll, uh, my, well, I, ha I have to go back to England. And uh, I'm playing the David Bowie convention in England in uh, June. 
And uh, my goal is to get at least two of these records finished before then. So uh, once the albums are done, I'll, I'll give you a call and maybe we can talk again, play something, okay? Sounds good. Okay, Daniel, man. Thanks for everything, man. And thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, anytime. You're always welcome back, man. Thank you so much for, for sharing your stories. Anytime. Take care of yourself. Take care. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.